It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. JT, hour number two. We are back on Raider Nation Radio 920. 20 a.m. and on that Raiders mobile app that I showed a guy yesterday. Yesterday, the starter at Bally High Golf Course on Memorial Day. Yes, it was hot. What was I doing out there overlooking the stadium? And the starter who uh, listens and says, JT, what station are you on? I go, come here. You have a phone? He goes, yeah. I go, 920 on the radio. Give me your phone. And we downloaded the Raider app for free. And I showed him the little, little icon of the radio in the corner. And he says, that's how I can listen to the show. I said, yeah, because when you're the starter at a golf course at Bally High at noon, you can't hear the show in your car. you got to be able to do it and listen on the Raiders app. So he really appreciated that on a great Memorial Day. Welcome back, hour number two, brought to you by Sam and Ash. Unfortunately, there were a lot of car accidents, tons of DUI accidents, issues throughout the weekend here in the Valley. As people came and went, if anything happened and you need assistance, call Sam and ask 702-820-1234, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. They're friends of the program, and they'll do all the work so you don't have to, Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. So we got into it in the first hour. I'm going to talk about it again. The legendary Hall of Fame trainer Teddy Atlas is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Excited about that. His son works for the Raiders. Nice connection there, but there's a big documentary series coming up in boxing. We'll catch up with him at the bottom of the hour. More on this unruly behavior of NBA fans. As I brought up the topic, and it's a really big topic. Because, again, sometimes topics come and go this time of year. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, I called it years ago, and many people copied me in radio, the dead zone. The dead zone is where we search for things to talk about. A little bit more than we do during the NFL season in the NFL playoffs. A lot of people take off during the summer. A lot of people bail, use a vacation week or two because that's the time to do it. But I've always said there's breaking news over the summer. There's always something that happens that is unexpected. And even though it's before the summer, this unruly behavior by NBA fans is something that was unexpected, but we've happened over the last six or seven days. And people are trying to get their heads wrapped around it. I woke up this morning with my wife early and we turned on sports and we're watching the debate shows. And Stephen A. was talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. They were talking about it on the Today Show. Yes, Savannah and Hoda showing what's happening in Boston and in the nation's capital. That That means that sports becoming mainstream news. Here's what happened when a Washington fan ran out on the court at a Wizards game here over the weekend. 80-74 Wizards. And we we have a fan who's gotten on the court. And he's been tackled by security. And wow. I'm what sorry. What was that guy doing? Well, and there was, uh, we were watching the ball come up. The, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. What is this knucklehead doing? We have an entertaining basketball game. And don't cheer him. Boo him. Yeah, that's an interesting line on Wizards Radio. Don't cheer him, boo him. 
And that happened, and the announcer, I think everybody's being very dramatic, and you should be dramatic if you're a radio announcer. Uh, God knows I am. And when you're dramatic, he's saying this has got to stop. It should stop. The reason why it, it's such a serious topic is because he could have had a weapon. Right? You, you, you think that you can't get into an arena without a weapon. You would think going through the machine – some places are better than others, but in the back of your mind, everybody says, oh, my God, what happens if that fan could have did some violence and some serious damage? And it didn't happen. He was drunk, touched the backboard. He got tackled after the game, but it was just another incident. Trey Young got spit on at the Nick game. Russell Westbrook had popcorn thrown on him. John Morant's parents were verbally abused at a Utah Jazz game. Then we had the second, which I just played, Washington incident, all mixed in. Right, So everybody's talking about it. And then the big incident in Boston with the water bottle where a fan got arrested. So Scott Brooks, a coach of the Wizards, commented on this fan and the fan that got tackled to the court. And I know when I go to sporting events with my kids when they were young, I didn't want to hear people use foul language. I didn't want to. It's embarrassing. And we, we have to control that. I mean, we have to control that. But it's unfortunate that one fan – here and there, it ruined it for everyone. There's great fans in Boston, in New York, in Philly, in, in D.C., uh, in Utah. But there's some that need to just know, you know what, stay home. That is a great soundbite. Scott Brooks, quick backstory. Scott Brooks used to be, I don't know if he owned a place at Palms Place, but I ran into him a few times at the Palms over the years. And he would, he's a great guy. He coached the Oklahoma City Sant Thunder when they were really good, and he's a Vegas guy. Really good guy, and he loves Vegas. And that soundbite's fantastic because now we're starting to get fans back in the arenas. And what's been confusing about this topic is why is this happening all of a sudden? And the default answer, as we talked about in hour number one, and I'll address it, we got a new audience at the top of every hour, is that people that don't go to games will just say, well, it has something to do with COVID. It has nothing to do with COVID. It has nothing to do with COVID. We're not a bunch of of, of primates who were all sitting in our basements locked with chains around our wrists with a bowl of water and you know couldn't get out of our homes and had to break out and now we go to games and we're going to be crazy i mean people are actually suggesting on the radio and in media on television that fans don't know how to behave because they haven't been to a game that had nothing to do with this fan who ran on the court it had nothing to do with the idiot in boston nothing to do with the fan that spit on Trey Young, COVID had nothing to do with the behavior. The fa- it had alcohol. It was either alcohol or someone trying to show off and their emotions got the best of them. But you don't have to tie it into the fact that it's COVID and we've had a pause in live sporting events. I don't believe that to be true at all. I thought this soundbite by Bradley Beal was really important because he's a player. And a lot of players don't like to get controversial and they don't want to pick fights with fans. But listen to what he said about what could happen next if anybody makes a run at him. Because I know no fan would try me individually. I mean, you can throw anything at me, but you're not going to approach me and try nothing. I know that. I don't want to use my hood slurring, but these hands work. These hands work. So that's a really good soundbite, too. I played that last night on Mad Dog. That that was a good soundbite because he's basically saying, you're going to run at me, go because you're not going to need security. He'll finish you off. So this big topic now is dominating sports for about a week and a half. And if you want to look at where we've been, we don't need this topic because we don't, we're not quiet with sports. We get the NBA and the NHL playoffs. It's quiet in the NFL. 
but what's happening, this is overshadowing the games. And when something overshadows the box score, that gets on my radar. I hope it gets on your radar. When, when we're supposed to talk about the game, we don't do that much more in sports radio anymore. We talk about the gossip of the game. We talk about the drama of the game, who's hurt, who's not playing, who's load managing, who's in trouble, who's had a bad game, who's not playing well. But, you know, we don't really get into the X's and O's in sports radio like 20 or 30 years ago. It's more about the behavior and the individuality of athletes and what makes them tick. And now all these athletes are very concerned about what's happening around them in the NBA. Let's just talk about what NBA athletes have been through. Let me give you three topics that they've been through in the last 16 months. They've been through the killing of George Floyd, which had a massive impact on every NBA player. The majority of them are black, and it hit home hard. And that's all they talked about. Number two, COVID. Obviously, their families, COVID, getting tested every day like they're, you know, animals in a cage, right? They're sitting there. They have to get tested with needles or swabs all the time. They're getting tested constantly so that they can play sports. That's very difficult mentally when it comes to this topic. And then third, what comes down to these players after dealing with this, they're dealing with the most important thing, their ability to earn a living going forward by their performance. And I don't think you perform better during a pandemic. It's tough to do that. It's very tough. So their whole world, their whole world is much more difficult. And they're on edge a little bit more. That's what I believe. And now you have all these fans in the last six to seven days doing something to them individually. To them individually. So they're sitting around going, haven't we been through enough? All we've been talking about is Black Lives Matter, George Floyd. We're getting COVID tested every day. And now we got fans throwing objects on us and spitting on us. This is a very important moment in the history of the NBA because I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. Other shows started talking about it today. And I've seen this trend coming here now for the last six to uh, you know eight days, whatever it is exactly. I'll get to you the exact day of the first incident. But with this happening, now it's going to become a copycat. Copycat, not so much crime, but, yeah, I guess so crime, if you get arrested like the idiot in Boston, it's a crime. And the, in this country, we're really bad at rules. I, I always say we suck at rules. You give people rules, they just want to break them. A lot of people just can't follow rules. They always have to question rules. They question the menu at a restaurant. They question an usher at a game. They question their tour guide. Just stop asking questions. Just, just follow the rules and the rules of an NBA game. And every game, hockey game, Golden Knights game, back of the ticket, no one looks at the back of the ticket and the rules anymore, is that it's a privilege to go. And if you screw it up, you're going to get thrown out. And what we've seen recently, you're going to get kicked out and possibly get kicked out for life. These life bans are big because facial recognition is the future. It's already here. So even though you think, well, I get banned for life, I'll be able to sneak into a game. No, maybe now, but you won't in two years. You won't in five years. You'll be banned for life. Like that 21-year-old idiot in Boston will never go to a sporting event in that building again. He's the clown idiot for the rest of his life. And he got arrested, and his name was in the paper. So that's what has to happen. But tying it back into the Raider Nation, as I said, now we're one. And I'd like to get your phone calls on this again. It's a phone call topic because it affects all of us. All of us. We should all be able to address this topic at 702-365-9200. When I bring up this topic nationally, unfortunately, I have to defend the Raider Nation. 
So I did this the last couple of nights, and I haven't shared it with you until today. So I, I brought this topic up, and I said on the national show, you know, let's bring this up. What are the fan bases that you're concerned about? What places do you think these issues happen more so than other? Boom, boom, boom. I, I knew it was coming. It was just Raiders, Oakland, Oakland, L.A. So I took calls on this, and there are fans that you can't hide the topic. There are fans who have seen altercations in Oakland, in L.A., over the years at Raider games. And Raider fans, you're great fans. You know some of the idiots who started fights. You know them. And you saw it, and you saw it happen. And I can only defend it so much. What am I going to do? But I've always said over the years, and you know how many radio interviews I do on other shows during Raider season, and when some host brings it up lightly and mocks me as a guest on their show, and, J.T., we're coming to Oakland. Are we going to be okay? Are we going to die in the parking lot? I wouldn't play along. I'd be like, no, that doesn't happen in Oakland. Because in my years in Oakland, I saw the cop presence by OPD. I knew the police officers. I saw them. Did I see fights? Absolutely did I see fights in Oakland. Did I see them in the parking lot? Not really. I didn't. Because in the parking lot, I was there for a certain amount of time, and it would be in the black hole, in the black hole tailgate section, and that was the happiest place on earth. I mean, those guys are too busy just hugging, taking selfies and pictures, and listening to the DJ and drinking beer and having a good time. There there were no fights going through the black hole tailgate. Believe me, I was there. There were no fights. Were there fights in stands? Yeah, there were at times. But the presence of the police and the severity that the Raiders took it so seriously for a fan-friendly environment in Oakland, everybody saw that change, no matter if it was if you were there for 10 years or over 20 years. Or when the Raiders came back, they made a conscious effort. The leaders of the Raiders from ownership, Mark Davis, Mark Bedane, everybody who was under that, that umbrella to make sure the experience in Oakland was as safe as possible. I've always said that. If you took Bart to a Raider game and you got off at, at Bart, the police presence from the time I would take Air Bart and I'd get off at Bart and I'd get to the Black Hole tailgate or somewhere in the Coliseum parking lot, I mean, I'd see 50 cops. I'd saw 10 cops at Bart or more. I'd see them on the tunnel going over to the Coliseum. I'd get over the tunnel. They'd be waiting for you there. They'd be in the parking lot. They're everywhere. They have the command centers. There'd be an eye in the sky. There'd be people up, up in the poles there looking down. I knew this, and I think most people understand that it was built out to be more mystery than fact, right? More urban legend, but there's no chance I'm going to say that the Raider fans didn't get into fights in Oakland and L.A. I'd be an idiot. That happened all the time, and there were severe fights, severe injuries over the decades. So when you bring up this topic, Raider fans get the most heat. Matter of fact, you can't have this topic nationally without fans piling on Raider fans. And that brings me to Allegiant Stadium. Okay, I haven't been in Allegiant Stadium much other than last year when no one was in it. I can't wait to get in there. Allegiant Stadium is going to be a different experience than you've ever seen in your life in sports. I had a friend who went to SoFi Stadium, and he went on their tour. And he went on the tour in Las Vegas. He's a season ticket holder for the Raiders, but he went on a tour with a season ticket holder in L.A. And I said, what was the difference to you? He said, well, L.A. was unbelievably gorgeous, but way big, way generic. It didn't feel like it was the home of the Rams and the home of the Chargers. I said, exactly. But he goes, man, it was nice. (laughs) It was really nice. I mean, every seat in the Super Bowl is going to be there is beautiful. And I said, well, compare that to Allegiant Stadium. He said, well, Allegiant Stadium is just Raiders. 
You go in and it's just a museum of the Raiders and art and much better, completely more different and unique of an experience than it was even at a brand-new stadium at SoFi Stadium. And I was happy to hear that because he's a sharp guy and he's a fan and he told me the truth on what he thought about it. But then we started talking about security. And he asked me, well, what do you think about security there? I go, well, look, I don't know all the bells and whistles, but I go, Raiders take it seriously. Metro takes it seriously. The place you can eat off the floors, it's gorgeous. And the clientele that's coming in, the Raider Nation that's coming in, it's going to be a little bit different than what we were used to in Oakland and at the L.A. Coliseum. It's a high-end crowd. It's a fan base that's going to be expected to behave properly all the time. There's not going to be a section at Allegiant Stadium with a window where 2,000 people are standing there smoking and smoking the stickiest of the ickiest. It's not going to be a place where if a fight breaks out, which I don't think will happen at Allegiant, that it'll take 15 minutes for someone to get to the upper deck and break it up because that behavior will not be accepted. It's going to be a glorious, interactive place for fans to go and bring kids and families, and it will have a hardcore edge to it in regards to hardcore football fans who are going to be enjoying themselves because they're going to be sitting in luxury. Very expensive, very expensive seats. People aren't going there to flex and intimidate and fight other people. Get it? So I hope we don't have to explain that to a lot of fans around the country. So this is a big topic for me. And as we move forward, the big question going forward are expectations about how you police your section. What do you do when something happens, when someone gets out of control? I don't think that's going to be a big problem at all at Allegiant Stadium. It was a problem in Oakland. It was a problem in L.A. Everybody knew it coming into place. Even if it was a peaceful day and nothing happened, it was in the back of people's minds. Hey, I'm in here. Keep my head on a swivel. I'm going to have a great time. Probably nothing's going to happen. But fans around the country think of the myth of the Oakland Coliseum, and they try to tie that with the Raiders as they come to Vegas. Uh, That myth is not coming to Vegas. That myth will not be accepted in Allegiant Stadium. That will not be part of the future of the vision of the Raiders at that gorgeous brand-new property, one of the greatest stadiums, if not the greatest stadium in the world. So I wanted to throw that out there. Any comments you have on that, let's get it going. 702-365-9200. Hope you had a great Memorial Day if you were able to be with your family and friends as we are 100% opened up in Vegas. And as I said earlier in the first monologue of the show, now that we're 100% open, what's the one thing you want to do as a sports fan now? The one thing that you weren't able to do, because you kind of could have went to games. You could have went to the Aces game. You can still go in a limited capacity to some of these other games. But I want to know what you think going forward. What will you do now that Vegas is open 100% and you can come to a sporting event, go to a bar, go to a sports bar? What is your goal? Let me know. 702-365-9200. We're brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town from... You know what it is, midnight to 2 and 5 to 7 p.m. Head on out to PT's, the food, the drinks, and especially a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights as they need game two in Denver as we continue on Raider Nation Radio.
Sources tell me Anthony Davis is unlikely to play in game five against the Suns. That game is tomorrow night. So that's a quick turnaround, only one day off. He doesn't have the benefit that Chris Paul had. Chris Paul had an additional day off in between games three and four, which Good point. vital, obviously, as we, you know, we will discuss. But, you know, Anthony Davis is unlikely to play. And with groin strains, just like hamstrings, cast, that's a tricky, tricky injury. Uh, they're going to monitor it. He is day-to-day, I'm told. And I think there is some optimism that if this series does continue in the six, seven, uh, that he's able to play. Anthony Davis, well, he's a superstar. He's not a star. He's an elite player in this league. So you're not supposed to win if you don't have him. You know, the Rockets wouldn't have won if Hakeem Olajuwon didn't play. The Celtics wouldn't have won back in the day if Bird didn't play. Same for Magic. So the Lakers aren't going to be failures if they get beat and Anthony Davis doesn't play. LeBron can't beat the whole league with just himself. But it's a big time. they got to be in the game. LeBron's got to play at a higher level. Teddy Atlas coming up in a few minutes. Stick around for that. JT, back with you as we continue on. Uh, Joe in Salt Lake City. Okay, Joe is gone. Hey, guys, wait for two minutes on hold. I'll get you on the radio. It's a two-hour show. If you're on hold, stay on hold. We'll get you. Who do we have, Bobby, next, please? Bill in Henderson, Nevada. Hello, Bill. How are you, buddy? Good, good, JT. How you doing? Doing great. Uh, JT, I, I agree with you on the, the spitting incident. That was definitely out, you know, not called for. Mm-hmm. But this other stuff, you know, I mean, come on. Throwing popcorn on Westbrook because he's, you know, going out and he's injured. And LeBron is sending out what I perceive as a racist tweet. And why isn't anyone talking about LeBron James? We talk about LeBron all the time. We talk about well, let, let me we'll stop you for a second. Hold, hold hold on a second. I do all, I talk about everything with LeBron. He he doxed it a police officer in Columbus, Ohio. He took the picture of a police officer in Columbus, Ohio. I did a week of radio shows on that. So I cover well, I'm glad, I'm everything glad, that LeBron I'm glad you does. Talked about it. I'm glad you talked about it, JT. I missed that. Um, and, you know, as far as what I want to do when I. You know, the, the main thing I want to do when, you know, the, the, the ban is lifted here, I want to go see my PSL seats, which I'm going to do tomorrow. So I'm looking yep. forward to it. And uh, that's I'll be there really too. the main thing. I, yeah. I'll be there, too. I'm going tomorrow with my son. I'm going to see my seats. And okay. my son and I are going tomorrow. I've already seen my seats when I was in there with nobody, so I can't wait to take him. But I think that's a great opportunity for Raider fans that are season ticket holders to go see your seats. The one who have been on the ones who have been on tours have had a great time. It's a great time to get together. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And uh, section two hundred, so maybe I'll see you tomorrow. It sounds good. I will be there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my son and I. So I get off the air here tomorrow with two, and we're going to head down after that. Go see our seats for the first time. That'll be a lot of fun, and then come home and do my night show. But I'm excited. I want to see more and more people. We have an event there we're doing Friday uh, for the radio station and the Raiders. So I'll be in the stadium on Friday, which I'm excited about again. Any opportunity you get to get in there. And now the concerts and the fights and everybody's going through the issues now of how they're going to get up, be able to get tickets. Look, this is going to jump on us pretty quickly here. Garth Brooks, the Wilder Fury fight. There's a lot of opportunity to get in that building before the Raiders play to see big sporting events, and I'm good with that. Everybody wanted the Raiders to be the first to break ground there and play a game. Unfortunately, it didn't happen with COVID. Even UNLV, a partner, got a chance to get in there and play games in, the Ra- in front of fans, limited fans, and the Raiders didn't. That's all part of the past. The Raiders are going to open up on Monday night football, 
And I saw that Gil Brandt tweeted out today, uh, the Hall of Fame personnel legend, 100 days till kickoff. 100 days from today is kickoff of the NFL season. And the Raiders are the last team to play week one because they open up Monday Night Football. So that's going to be interesting. I think the adrenaline for the Raider organization to want to play a game in front of fans, and then they're going to have to wait till the end of week one for Monday Night Football. That's going to be a long wait. It's going to be a long wait from 100 days of Thursday Night Football when the season kicks off with the Buccaneers all the way through Sunday Night Football, and then the opportunity for us to jump in on Monday Night Football and to see what happens there. You know, the caller made an interesting comment about you know, violence, or I, I, I think he was alluding. I don't want to say this if he wasn't, but the way I caught it was Russell Westbrook had popcorn poured on him. What's a big deal? It's humiliating. It's humiliating as a human being to have food thrown on you or liquid thrown on you or for someone to spit on you. It's humiliating. When you perform for a living in front of a paid audience and the paid audience throws objects at you, that's, that's just inhumane. It's, it's disgusting. And some people are making light of it. They're saying popcorn isn't violent. An empty water bottle isn't violent. Well, when that water bottle's flying at your head and it's full of water, it's violent. Especially if it comes from the upper deck or the second deck or, you know, right thrown at you. That, that could hurt and do some damage. Could take out your eye. So these are serious issues. And then the fan who ran on the court, there's also a minor league baseball video that's trending out there now of a lunatic fan that just got on the diamond of a minor league game and got to the mound to the pitcher. You don't know what he has in his pockets. You don't know what he's going to do. And players shouldn't have to worry about that. Players shouldn't have to worry about on top of the game plan, uh, their cardio, what they have to do, how they have to be prepared. They shouldn't have to look over their shoulder going, I wonder if someone's going to accost me or throw something at me. I think the bigger part of it, the biggest of all of this, has to do with the language. And the language is the worst part of it. And no one's called in on that today. And I'd like to hear some fans' opinions about language because I find that to be more disturbing than so-called objects because objects are very, very isolated. Someone throwing an object is so isolated. And now with all the technology of cameras, and the ability to point someone out who's doing that. You can catch someone. But language, to me, is horrible, especially with kids. And my kids are older now, but you got to clean it up. I am excited because Showtime Sports has a documentary film's feature coming up, The Kings, an in-depth look at the boxing golden age of Duran, Hagler, Hearns, and Leonard. Wow, right in my wheelhouse, and I get to talk to the Hall of Fame boxing commenter and trainer his son works with me with the silver and black i get a chance to say hello to teddy atlas again teddy good to talk to you how was your memorial day hope you're doing well uh thank you jt everything's good good memorial day anytime you can spend it with your family the only thing missing was my son you know he's out there with you and my grandson and my uh my daughter-in-law but you know, that would have made it perfect. But we were out there two weeks ago to see them, so that that was a that was a gift to be able to be with them and see our grandson and my son. But um it, it was it was a nice it was a nice day. Actually I run a 
a little charity foundation, uh, the Dr. Allen Foundation, where we we had gotten a request from one of the veteran posts, one of the American Legion posts. Uh, they they have a couple of survivors from World War II, and obviously, as you can figure, it's becoming it's becoming difficult for them to get up and down. It's becoming difficult for them to get up and down the steps uh, now. So they had asked for a chairlift uh, for us to to be able to get with them and you know put it in. So yes, they had they had a little ribbon cutting uh, for the chairlift at the uh, Legion post. So that was. That was, nice. that was a nice thing to get to see those guys and to thank them. The only embarrassing thing was when they thanked me. I said, no, yeah. please, uh, don't be thanking me. Um, thank thank you for everything you guys have done and the guys today that continue to do what they do to protect us. So now, it was a nice day. It was a good day. Teddy Atlas joins us. You know, Teddy, I know what you do in Staten Island and New York City and your charity work back there and people that are around you, and that's been a big part of your life. Before we get to this documentary, what's it like when you see your grandson, your son, your daughter-in-law in Vegas, knowing the history of you in Vegas, when you remember what the Strip looked like back in the day, and now you go down the Strip, and Teddy, you've been here for the growth of the Strip, from Caesars to the MGM and all the great fights that you were in the corner for. What do you think of Vegas now when you see all this growth? Yeah, when I was just out there, JT, it was funny. It was I was actually reminiscing. I was just uh, talking about that with my son, and I say, "My God, it got so big." I mean, I remember, yeah. I remember being out there for fights. I remember being out there for Duran and Benitez. Uh, I had helped train Benitez. Uh, he had been in camp with us, and I was out there for that fight. So, my God, I can't even think how many years ago it was. And you thought Vegas was was big. At the time, you know, and then you look back and you say, "Wow, it was so small. It was so tiny. It was, <laughs> it was, you know, it was minuscule compared to what it is today." I mean, it was Caesar's Palace and a couple other places, right. um, a couple of the older places, and Caesar's was kind of the the biggest one, and and that was about it. I mean, you could go you could go down the strip in a couple minutes, and and you're right past <laughs> it, and not not anymore, not anymore. So. Uh, I, it's funny that you bring that up because I really was, I was mm-hmm. going back in time and saying to my son, "Wow, I remember being out here when it was it was just we thought it was Vegas, we thought it was big, and right. you look back now and you say it wasn't that big." <laughs> Teddy Atlas joins us, the Hall of Fame boxing commenter and trainer, commentator and trainer. Hey, Teddy, when people ask you who was the better fighter, Duran, Hagler, Hearns, or Leonard, I mean, how do you even dive into that question, knowing them the way you did, watching them and breaking down the film, coming into the documentary on the Kings? How do you rank these guys? Uh, they all rank in their special places. I mean, uh, Tommy Hearns is a gunslinger. You know, he's a guy who had all the apparatus, the physical apparatus to fight tall, like I would always say on ESPN, keep guys at bay. But he was a gunsling. He went and got you anyway. He didn't care, you know. And um, so he made for exciting fights, you know. It was do or die with him. So he had a special, he was the Motor City, you know, uh, hitman, uh, Motor City Cobra. Uh, you know, so he had his own little place. Then you had to add the stones for Berto Duran. Uh one of the greatest lightweights of all time. Then he moves up and he fights the gold boy. Should he landed up to welterweight? And uh, this is a kid from, you know, abstract poverty, from from the streets of Panama. And, you know, he becomes world champion. Uh, and, and he, I mean, it's not, 
<laughs> it's not a friendly quote, but I'll say it. I remember when it was 15-round fights and back in the 80s, one of the things that made the 80s so great was that it was on free TV, it was on network TV, you had these great fighters, special, 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 talented fighters, and they were all fighting each other. You don't get that anymore. I mean, that's what made it so special. So I remember Duran fighting a 15-round fight. I think it was against a guy named Sugar Ray Lampkin, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And it was on one of the networks, either Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And it was a it was a good fight. It was a good fight. Lampkin gave him a good fight. And Duran knocks him out. I think it was the 14th or 15th round, if my memory serves me. And he was being carried out on a stretcher, Lampkin. And, you know, we're all holding our breath like you always do, you know, in, in such a difficult sport when you see that, um, whether you see it in football, which which is always a risk uh, there, or, or in boxing or in MMA, you, you're just praying that he's going to be okay. And here he is being carried out, and they're interviewing Duran as the stretch is going by, and Duran says to him in his broken English, because he didn't have a real great grasp of the English language, he says, I'm not in shape. Next time I kill him. And, I mean, that that tells you all you need to know about the image of Duran, about the ferocity of Duran. Obviously, we don't want to hear those things. And obviously, those are things that we we pray, you know, you don't want to hear, you know. And you pray that nobody ever does get killed. Um, but it was just at the heat of the moment. And it was at that moment, Duran showing the world that was watching a side of him that, you know, that they had never really seen. Uh, next time I kill him. And that's all you need to know. Every That that was Duran's image. I mean, nobody had those dark, cold, unforgiving, pitless eyes like Duran, other than Sonny Liston. So Duran was in his own category. And then you go, then you go to Sugar Ray Leonard, the golden boy. I mean, he comes from the greatest Olympic team of all time, 1976, five gold medalists. And they fought the I know some people are going to say, oh, 19, whatever that was, 84, whatever, uh, where we had, you know, 10 or whatever. But no, there was no Cubans there. So for me, there's an asterisk next to that. The greatest Olympic team of all time, 1976, they beat the Cubans, they beat the Russians, they beat all the greatest fighters in the world. And Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, comes out of that. And it was back in the days when you saw the Olympics as they're supposed to be seen, not like on some cable uh, show, you know, some some secondary cable outfit at four in the morning. I mean, they were on ABC, World World of Sports. They were on NBC. They were they were there in the afternoon where they should be, where everybody could identify with them. Everybody could get to feel like they knew these guys. So you had the Golden Boy with all this talent. He had seven up commercials. Oh my God! I mean, fighters yeah. didn't get commercials. Ali got commercials. Nobody else got commercials. Later on, Tyson, until we went into a bad direction, he got commercials. But nobody else. Sugar Ray Leonard with his little son, and and with that great smile doing seven up commercials. I mean, the Golden Boy with all that talent with the, from the Olympics. You had that, and then who do you have? Who brings it up? Marvin Hagler. Oh. And he's. And, and, oh, my God. And, and Marvin Hagler, he's, in some ways, he's the antithesis of all these guys, everything I just described, because he didn't have that neon, shiny talent. He had great talent. So one of the greatest middleweights, greatest southpaws of all time. But, but he was a blue-collar guy. He brought his lunch pail. I mean, his greatest talent. Yeah, he could punch. Yeah, he could fight inside. Yeah, he could fight outside. He could go catch. He could do anything. But his greatest talent? 
was the same thing you look in a human being and you look for in a, in a best friend. He was dependable. You could always rely on him. He would never let you down. That was Marvin Hagler. So you put those four, each one of them in their own different little cubicle. You put in their own little ring, if you will, and you put it all together, and you got the four kings. Pretty damn Teddy good. Atlas joins us, the Hall of Famer. We are ready June 6th at 8 p.m. exclusively on Showtime, the documentary film series The Kings, an in-depth look at the boxing golden age of Duran, Hagler, Hearns, and Leonard. Teddy, I'm going to do some shorter ones, some bullet points with you here so we can get more in. Let's begin with this. How big of an impact did Muhammad Ali have, the end of his era with pay-per-view and money that set up the four kings and the taste that we all had in America for great boxing to go to the next level? What credit should Ali have for this? He should have a lot. The same way as, uh, what is his name, Floyd Flood? Uh, with baseball, with opening up free agency, and Catfish Hunter opening up free agency. Where yeah. The owners made all the money, and all of a sudden the players started making the money, you know, in all the sports, starting with baseball. Yeah, Ali was that guy. Ali, Ali and Joe Frazier, you know, in that, in that first fight, the fight of the century, where all of a sudden you, you never heard those numbers. They both got $2.5 million, $5 million total for that fight. You never heard those numbers before. Ali, Ali basically brought free agency to boxing. You know, he, he, he brought it to another level where obviously these fighters have now been able to benefit from that, and it's gone to a whole different stratosphere, which all the sports have. But, yeah, Ali sure. was at the forefront of that. Teddy Atlas, Hall of Famer, joins us. Now I'm looking at Wilder Fury 3. It's going to be in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium where your son works with the Raiders. So... I was there, and I couldn't believe what happened to Wilder. I mean, I've, I've seen confident fighters. I'm into 100 championship fights. I don't recall. There's been a lot of confident guys. There was no ounce of nerves from Fury at all. What does Wilder need to do in his training to change what his mindset needs to know coming into this trilogy fight so he, he stands a chance to get out of the fifth or sixth round? Well, I'd say it in two parts, and that's a good question. Here... First of all, this is going to get people going to go crazy when they hear this, but so what? Uh, I know it to be the truth, so I'll say it, and I'll say it in a rare form, in a, in a naked form, without trying to dress it up. Why should you dress things up? But Wilder, to a certain extent, doesn't know how to fight. So he's not going to learn how to fight. He, he knows how to do one thing. You know, he's got a jab, he's got a long jab, he can hit you from across the street, but he's got the one thing he can't teach. Uh, he's got the one thing that is not made it, it's born and that's power he was born with power he, he's a great and i say it again i don't use that word loosely he's a great puncher with the right hand with the right hand not both hands with the right hand he can really wow he can punch and that's a great eraser and it makes up for a lot of sins makes up for a lot of mistakes but the other part is a problem the technical part not you know not being consistent technically not being you know well well form technically mm-hmm. uh so many mistakes that he makes you know he throws a punch he misses you he falls across the ring uh he, he's out of position a lot of times he'll pull straight back uh that's a problem that's not going to be fixed you know overnight mm-hmm. uh, the power is still going to be there the greater race is still going to be there what he's going to have to do is not let this guy smother him catch him on the way in you know make him go to a bad neighborhood and then mug him you know, he, he wants to get to your fury. You got those long arms. Well, make sure that you make sure 
those hands were going at the right distance, at the right time, before he smothers you, before he uses his 270-plus frame to back you up and take away your power, be able to catch him on the outside. That's what he's going to have to do. But, you know, his technique is a problem. His lack of technique is a problem. But, again, as Mm -hmm. I said earlier, he does have that eraser, baby. That's he does. Teddy Atlas, the Hall of Famer, as we wrap it up. Finally, I've been dying to ask you this question. If you, you've been in media a long time, if you get an offer you can't refuse for a commercial or money, you're going to consider it. But, Teddy, I've been interviewing you a long time. I can't get my head around these YouTube fighters fighting boxing legends. I'm not going to be a part of it, and I'm not knocking the networks that put it on. There are new kids that want to watch it. They love you know, Logan Paul or this guy. And, you know, people come and they want to watch it. It's entertainment. But I'm trying to defend the sport of boxing. Teddy, you know this, on my national show and my local shows all the time, I can't get behind YouTube fighters fighting boxing legends. How do you come to grips with it? Listen, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that thought. And, yeah, a lot of the old timers, a lot of the, you know, the lifers in boxing um, they feel it's taking away the dignity, the integrity of the sport. But I, I don't look at it that way. I I look at it where, listen, the boxing fan knows where the fighters are. They know where the real fights are. They know they would love to see Spence and Crawford. Unfortunately, you're not going to get it because you got two different promoters, and they won't allow that fighter to go across the street to make the fight that would make the sport better. And that would also uh, make the fans happy. But... You, they know who the fighters are. The, the people aren't stupid. They know what the this is. You said the right word. This is a distraction. I'll take it to another place. I'll say a distraction. This you use the word entertainment. This is entertainment. Uh, this is a sidebar. It's a carnival. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. Uh, but but the people are entitled to pay what they want to pay. It's up to them how they want to spend their money. And I give the poor. Brothers, credit for this. A lot of people get angry at me being a boxing lifer, um, but I don't care. I, I put I put it this way: at least they went out there and they respected the sport enough mm-hmm. to try to learn it. And yeah, they're no Ali, they're no Mayweather, right. they're, they're they're not. We know that, but at least they're learning the basics. At least they put time into it, and they're trying. And you know what? They're taking advantage of a market that suddenly is out there. Suddenly, there's a market out there for people to see the YouTube, that, that age the, where they got 20 million followers. Give them credit for them to do that. That's pretty. I can't get 20 million followers. I don't know how the freak they did it. But you get 20 million followers, and now they're looking to take advantage of it. They're, they're looking to cash in on it. And, and that's the American way. To, to, that's the American way. Yeah. That if you can find something without hurting somebody, you can find something that works, that you can make money at, that people will buy. Hey, go for it. So in that way, hey, give them credit. It's up to the people to make the decision. Yes, no, I'm not watching it. But the smart boxing fans, the great boxing fans out there, people like you, they know what the real fights are. They, they understand yeah. this is a side attraction. I haven't heard it explained that way. That is fantastic, and that really could have an impact on me changing my opinion on this. The four-part documentary series premieres Sunday, June 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific exclusively on Showtime, The Kings, an in-depth look at the boxing golden age of Duran, Hagler, Hearns, and Leonard. Teddy, all the best. I'll see you out in Vegas soon. I greatly appreciate your time. Tell, give my son my love, okay? I always will. You got it. There he is, Teddy Atlas, 
Hall of Famer, commentator, and trainer. And you know what boxing means to this show. You know that we've been talking boxing in this town for a long time, and we have the boxing legends on, the fighters and the insiders, and great to talk to him. When they said we had him today, I was really happy. And, you know, Teddy's son works for the Raiders. He's a great man, good young man with a great family. Big impact within the community and the organization. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. If you want to get through quickly, we can get you up. 702-365-9200. Feels like a Monday. It's a Tuesday. Wednesday tomorrow, we dive in to the pregame preview of the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, I'll say it a must win. Game sevens are must wins, but you want to get to game seven or six in this series, you better win Golden Knights on Wednesday. Right here, brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. We went from 48 to 43. It got ahead, we got ahead of Dallas, um, and we felt great about that. He's our number one rated safety. Uh, we had him with a, a, a big grade on our board. So we, we got a, a guy with a first round grade uh, at 45 in the second round. So we're pretty excited. Trayvon Morrig, as they're talking about, Trayvon Merrig. I'll ask him to his face when I sit down with him at some point. And he sounds like a guy ready to start, which I like about that position at free safety. And everything that's come out about Jonathan Abram, his workouts, what he's done in the off season, Everything, Gus Bradley in the role has been fantastic. Everything that I've seen. He was at the Golden Knights game, you know, getting the wheel going the other night. It seems like Jonathan Abram, not that he wasn't focused to play well, he just didn't play well. He wasn't coached properly in the past. John Abram, from a defensive perspective, was not lined up correctly, did not get to the ball correctly. He's a human heat-seeking missile, which I don't really care much about. I know Raider fans love it because Jack Tatum would take people's heads off back in the day when you could. And that doesn't bother me. As I just want to see guys make tackles in space. I want to see Littleton, Kwiatkowski, Morrow, and John Abram tackle people as they're pursuing a play so the play doesn't go another seven yards. That's it. That's Gus Bradley's defense. Isn't that the biggest thing? Am I missing something? What do you want to see as a Raider fan as the biggest improvement? I just want to see guys lined up right. And then when guys come in their area for them to tackle them and put them right on the ground. Not extended yards, extended new set of downs. And that's the job of Gus Bradley with this team. Attendance is A+, not A, A A-plus for attendance from John Gruden who called in on the anniversary show. Thanks to Bobby who put put that show together. Bobby also runs the Golden Knights broadcast, so he's got a big day tomorrow. Thanks to all of our partners and our guests who joined us today. We appreciate everybody who jumped in. Thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio. Tell everybody about the app, lvsportsnetwork.com. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day, and Vegas is open to 100% capacity. Let's celebrate it. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.